Over the summer, I, I mentioned this last week, we're going to be doing a sermon series not on heroes of the Bible, but on the villains. And what we're going to find is that when you get into each of these stories, and you start looking at the context, you start looking at the circumstances of what each of these villains face, there's going to be two reoccurring themes that are going to keep coming up. Number one is Anyone can become a villain who selfishly forces their own agenda, who, who takes a look at a circumstance and goes, for my benefit, I'm going this direction. But equally and even more important is we need to understand this in each of these stories, God can redeem even the worst of villains. So there's hope for us, but we can learn a lot from heroes and scriptures, but we also can learn from the villains. Well, we mentioned this last week, but the Bible portrays human beings as being complex, both good and evil. And, and why is that? Well, we are made in God's image. Each of us are image bearers. So that means we have God's goodness within us, and it gives us the ability to love, to connect, and to show kindness, to be generous, and also to display courage, and that's good. That's from our heavenly nature, but we're also fallen beings. We're, we're corrupted by sin, which really makes us open and available to do almost anything. Why is that? Why do we still wrestle, even after putting, giving our lives over to the Lord, why do we still wrestle between good and evil? Screenwriter Brian Gadawa describes the complex character makeup of villains. He said every good story needs a villain. But here's what you need to understand about villains. No villain sees himself as a villain. They see themselves as a hero, and so therefore all bad people justify the evil that they're doing as good within their own little worldview. So they're seeing things, and they're reacting in a way that they think makes sense, especially for their own agenda. And they don't have enough self-awareness to see that others see their actions as evil. And he says, in reality, they see that the ends justify the means. And there's a rationality, even with evil, that justifies these choices as being good. I think there's a lot of truth in that that we need to realize as believers. And so for us to gain perspective on this choice and how that we struggle between good and evil, I want us to return back to where it all started. In the book of Genesis. And so this morning we're going to look at the creation and the fall narrative in Genesis 1 through 3. And this morning I want us to address two questions that come out of this passage. Number one is what Zach asked us to write in and, and put on the website is, who is the villain in the story? So hopefully you've already declared who you think it is because there's four options. I'm going to go ahead and pull God off the table as not being one of the options for the villain in the story. Does that get you down to three? Who are you going to choose as the villain in the story? And number two, if it's true, then how does God redeem the villain? If you have your Bibles, let's look at Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Here's what it says. In the beginning, 
God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So there's something we need to realize in just these first two verses, is that we have two-thirds of the Godhead. We have God the Father creating the world through the power of the Spirit in verse 2. Now, if we take into consideration John chapter 1, which is a retelling of creation, then John, the Apostle John, tells us that Jesus, the Word, was with the Father and the Spirit from the very beginning. So you have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit creating this world. And so as they're creating all that we know, we see as they walk through the days that we have light and darkness, and we have the sky, and we have the waters, and then we have the waters, and we have the land, and then vegetation gets added, and then birds in the sky, and and fish in the sea. And, and finally, when all of this creation is put in, in, in the animals, the final day of creation, day six before God rested, God's crowning achievement gets dropped in and placed within this perfect and very intentional created world. So, so that's what we have, what God has done. Here's what he says in verse 26. He said, then God said... Let us, the Father, Son, and the Spirit, make mankind in our image and in our likeness so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over the livestock and all the creepy, crawly, wild animals, all the things that move along the ground. Okay, so, so God has designed this. So God created mankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them both male and female, he created them. So this is a very powerful passage that we see in creation. Number one, the the Trinity, oneness, the Father, Son, and Spirit are working in concert with one another in, in one purpose, giving us an example of how we're to interact with one another. So the Father, Son, and the Spirit are working together, but there's also oneness between God and man. And so there's a unity there because they take on the likeness and the image bearing of their heavenly father. And finally, there's a oneness between husband and wife, and they become one flesh. And so we see that this is how God has designed these image bearers of God. But it doesn't stop there. Both husband and wife were given a common task in Genesis 1 and verse 28. It said, God blessed them and said to them, here's what I want you to do. I want you to be fruitful. It takes two of you guys to do this. Increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves along the ground. So they're one together, but they're also one in purpose and a common task. So God creates both male and female as mutual, made for each other, and they were one with each other. And so they were made for this Eden-like world, God's kingdom. But unfortunately, they were looking and their eyes were gazed upon a different kingdom and another world that they were seeking after. 
See, God only gave one condition to Adam, one condition for residence, but also for this unity and this relationship between God and mankind to stay together. He said, you can go anywhere within the garden, and and there's plenty to eat. I'll make it easy for you. Just go up and, and eat this or that. But there's one tree I want you to stay clear of. It's a tree of knowledge of good and evil. That's all I ask. We'll maintain this relationship. You can live in my kingdom, this garden. Genesis 3 and verse 1 says this. This is how they responded to this one command. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord had made. He said to the woman, come here, come here. Uh, Let me kind of get the ground rules here. Uh, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And and the woman said, well, well, yeah, that's how I understand it. That the conversation went that we can go anywhere and we can eat anything, but we need to steer clear of this one tree. And In fact, if we ever go close to it or, or touch it, We'll surely die. And, and Satan's like, are, are you kidding me? Oh, come on. You're not going to die. Here's why God doesn't want you to go and partake of this tree. Because then you won't need him to fill in those blanks. You'll gain your own knowledge of what's good and what's evil. And so you take that on as your ability to do these things. And your eyes will be wide open like God. Don't you want to be like God? Don't you want to be able to converse, not as creator and creation, but just to be like him? So what is being offered to earth's first couple is a choice that's offered up to you and I on a daily basis. And, and the option is this, that we can be aligned with the revealed truth of God. God says, this is my truth. This is how I have set things up. I will give you a spirit that will lead, that will be inside of you. But you have to keep the volume turned up on that spirit in order for it to continue to lead you and, and to guide you. And for me to direct your steps Because I have a kingdom, and I want you to live in that kingdom, but I also want you to live according to kingdom purposes. So that's option number one. Option number two is this. It's an attractive alternative. And and here's what that alternative is. It's self-rule. It's determining what's right and what's wrong for me. It's allowing me to be the bearer and the writer of what truth is. To say, this is the truth that works for me in this time, in this place, and in these circumstances. God, I appreciate it. You know, I was raised this way, but it seems to make more sense for me to grab a hold of the reins on this thing. To live according to how I want to live. I kind of want to be my own truth teller. And so we determine truth for ourselves. Well, here's what happens. The woman kind of buys into this. In Genesis 3 and verse 6 and 7, it says this, 
Ah, she kind of looked over and go, you know what? That fruit does look good. It was good for food. It was pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom. Who didn't want to be smarter? And she took some and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was there right beside her. He was, and, and he ate it. Then their eyes were wide open, both of them. And they realized they were naked. Can you imagine that moment? Whoa, what did you just do? What did I do? What did you do? And so they're immediately trying to figure out who's the villain in this story. And, but they didn't really have a chance to really dig down and, and to explore this because they started hearing footsteps. And so they're like, oh my, there, there's something going on. And so in, in verse 8 it says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord, and, and, and he was walking in the garden in, in the cool of the day, and, and they hid from the Lord God. The, the person that they walked with all the time, that they had fellowship and communion with, he had planned all of this, and now they're hiding from that very beating. They hid among the trees of the garden. But the Lord gong, called to the man, where are you? I can't find you. After an awkward pause, he said, we're over here. I heard you in the garden, and we were afraid, and we hid ourselves because we were naked. And he said, hold the bus. Who told you you were naked? Oh, I get it. Have you eaten from the tree, the, the one tree I told you not to partake of? Have you gone there? It's the only one I told you not to go to. And the man said, well, you know what? Uh, uh, the woman that you put here uh, with me, she gave me some of the fruit from the tree, and I ate it. So if we're trying to figure out this whole villain thing, Adam says, time out. Uh, I'm going to give you my perspective. He goes, it's either this woman or the one that created the woman. Because it's not me. It's on her or it's on you. You two figure it out. I'm going to wait it out over here. And you all determine who the villain is in this story. Who's to blame? Who's to blame? Well, the, the woman says, well, oh, okay, uh, God, it is not me, it was the serpent's idea. I didn't come up with this. I was perfectly fine with how things were set up. Then he starts telling me that I need to do this and that you and I will be able to commune on a different level. Yeah, and, and I'll be smarter and a, and a better conversation partner if I do it. Stop. Who's the villain? Who's the villain? Who's to blame? My choice is Adam. But not Adam, but Adam, meaning mankind. Each of us. Because each of us are presented with the same circumstance. Each of us are presented with the same choice in the matter. To align ourselves with God or to go it alone. Romans chapter 5 and verse 12. Paul says this. When you look at the creation story, just realize you're not looking at it from afar you're one of the players. Therefore, his sin entered into the world through one man, and death through sin. 
So death pass all people because all of sin. We're Adam, we're, we're mankind, we're people of the dust just like them. And we're presented maybe not in the Garden of Eden where the four rivers come in and a snake and a tree or where our standing up is. We're presented with the same choice and we choose just like they did. And I wonder if Adam and Eve are looking down and going, did you not learn anything from us? But yet we all fall short of the glory of God. When sin entered the world, it was total and it affected every aspect of being human. First and foremost, when when sin came into the world, it severed that relationship no longer could we commune with God and, and walk and, and live in that right relationship. Adam and Eve were escorted outside of the garden and the flaming swords there to protect them from coming back in. You're, you can't come in. That relationship has been broken. But it also impacted our horizontal relationships, even with those that we care for the very most. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 16. This is what God says is going to happen. He said, Eve, here's what's going to happen. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Now, I I want us to kind of clarify a little bit. This desire is not just, wow, you're going to be attracted to him, but he's going to rule over you. No, I think the English Standard Version captures more what's going on here. Eve, you're going to want to control your husband, but he's going to dominate you. That's going to be the reaction to the fall. That's going to be this consequence that's come. And it's not prescriptive, it's descriptive. It's when you separate yourself from the will of God and you take it upon yourself to determine what's good and evil, that's going to bring not only friction with you and God, but friction with one another. That relationship is going to change, and there's going to be hostility even with those you care about the most. So sin made us dead to the things of God in influencing our thoughts and in our emotions and our actions we start functioning differently. Sin eternally separates us from our Heavenly Father. And that gap is too big. We can't cross over of, of our own volition. We, we can't do makeups or, or do-overs to somehow reclaim that relationship with God. He's not just a holy God. He's a holy, holy, holy God. There's nothing we can do in our fallen condition, to bring about that. There's nothing we can do to put the pieces back together. And we become at odds with our Heavenly Father, and we also become at odds with those around us, as you see in the world, even with those that we're closest to and have united with for a lifetime. We have to understand where the villains are decision has taken us we won't appreciate the good news because the good news of the story is the broken creation eventually gives way to a new creation 
And, and we see with the coming of Jesus Christ that people are reborn. People are recreated. And instead of the war of wills between us and God, we surrender our, 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 ourselves at the foot of the cross. And the war of wills extends into our relationships. And suddenly we have unity of purpose with our Heavenly Father and unity of purpose with those around us. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17, Paul tells us, boy, if anyone is in Christ, if you've accepted the blood of Jesus, now brings us back to our Heavenly Father. If anyone's in Christ, the new creation has come. The new creation has come. It's the do-over. It's grabbing the edge of sketch and saying, we got a clean slate here. The old fallen existence that we've been living into has gone and the new creation is here it's it's not just the new creation is not just the new jerusalem to come it's a new way of living right here and right now all this is a gift from god to bring us back to him and this new creation signifies that we're being restored to the Christ. Because once you understand what you have in Jesus Christ, it is going to knock over a bunch of dominoes within the household code that you're under as Roman and Greek citizens. He says, here's what's going to happen. And in and, and his instructions on Christian households, Paul tells the brothers and sisters at Ephesus, look what happens. Suddenly this hierarchy that you're used to in this pecking order, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Well, why submit to your husbands? Husbands, just love them as Jesus did. This is groundbreaking teaching that as new creation, we are living into it as new creatures that God has rebirthed, that God has recreated, that God has enjoined for his purposes. And it's now, it's not just in the world to come. We are being sanctified and being made holy, and our whole world changes now as it will be fully restored in days to come. Christ Jesus, God welcomes us back to the garden. He says, I want to walk with you. I want to spend time with you. I don't want to be at odds anymore. I, I have plans for you. I have dreams for you. And I have a purpose for you. I want you to be known and I want you to be needed within this fellowship of believers, but also with me. I'm going to gift you in this new creation to where you can live into my purposes that I have for your life. And in Jesus, we can live in unity with him, but also with oneness with God and man. How does this play out for us? What's our decision? Back in 2005, um, Jill was not working. She'd taken a break from teaching because our kids were very small. And, and she kept telling me about this new Carrie Underwood song. And I'm like, oh, okay. She goes, no, it's great. It's awesome. You got to hear this. And so we were driving to Target one day. And she goes, oh, it's on, you know. And so I'm listening to this. 
And it's about a single girl that's driving to go see her, uh, her parents and up in Cincinnati and it's snowing outside and uh, she's got a baby in the back and she's, it's been a hard year and she's been out of gas and she wasn't really paying attention to how fast she was going. And, and she gets on some black ice and her car starts spinning and what does she do? She throws her hands up in the air and says, I'm like, chill. Okay, I appreciate the sentiment, but if you're on black eyes, here's what you do. You steer into the curve, lightly take your foot off the gas, slowly put on the brake, get, keep away. You don't throw your hands up in the ear. She goes, Jesus will take the wheel. I'm like, yeah, but go ahead and hold on and Jesus will guide it, Right? But that's a choice each of us has to make. Who's going to grab that steering wheel? And so number one, make a decision. This week, I'm praying that the Spirit will put on your heart for you to take a pause. Because normally we make these decisions instantaneously. I want you to pause. And I'm going to, Holy Spirit, come and, and stop us before we make these instant decisions. And help us to pause and say, this decision, I'm going to do it God's way. I have my normal way of handling this. I'm going to take my hands off the wheel on this, Lord. I know what your will is. And normally, I live outside of that in this part of my life. For this week, I'm going to let you have that steering wheel, Lord. I'm going to do it your way. I'm going to consciously say, I'm going to try it God's way, and I want to say, Lord, this is because I care about our relationship, that I'm releasing my will to yours. Then number two, in our relationships, make a decision to live in harmony with others. That's also a decision that we have to make each and every day as we come into conflict. Uh, and boy, I, I tell you, that layer of patience and grace and forgiveness is pretty thin in our world out there. May we be a people of grace and peace and forgiveness because we're, we are forgiven. We're given grace and we are one with our Heavenly Father who's guiding our lives and directing our lives. And that allows that to spill over into every relationship, no matter how tense the circumstances are. So this morning, we need to realize without Jesus, we're still under the curse of the fall. And that broken relationship is real. And that fellowship with God has not been restored. And there's nothing you can do to restore that except say, Jesus Christ is my Lord. And I'm putting him on in baptism. I'm going to participate in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus because I want him to take the, the wheel of my life. And I want to find myself in God's will. So I encourage you, make that decision today to say, I'm going to release my will to my heavenly Father. I don't want to repeat the sins of the fall that I do each and every day. I don't want to be at odds with my heavenly Father, and I don't want to be at odds with my fellow man. If we can help you this morning, come now as we stand and as we sing.